0: I did a little research about this little device here, and uh, I was wondering, I, I i wonder about strange things sometimes, and I thought to myself, I wonder how long a a body can live without its head. How long can a body live without its head? You know, you've heard the phrase, that like a chicken, run around like a chicken with its head cut off, because a chicken can live apparently for a 20 minutes without its head but how long can a human being live without its head you know what there was an experiment done <laughs> i know this sounds absolutely crazy uh, in 1905 there was a french doctor and a condemned prisoner who was condemned to the guillotine and so this prisoner agreed uh, to be a test subject uh, to figure out to see if a human body could live without its head and uh, five to six seconds is uh, is the the Uh, His uh, the prisoners eyes blinked and uh, his lips quivered for five to six seconds. That's disgusting, isn't it? I'm sorry to give you such an image on a Sunday morning, but you know, it just makes me think About the importance of the head to the body For five or six seconds is all you could survive without your head And when I read today's passage of scripture when we come to today's passage of scripture We're going to find out about the head of the church and I don't think, I know, that the church body, the body of Christ, cannot survive for even five or six seconds without its head. Um, I, I know, like I said, that's probably the strangest illustration you've ever heard to open up a sermon. But that's what we're going to talk about today. We've been talking about bodybuilding. Not like, bodybuilding, um, but we've been talking about the church body. And building up the body of Christ. As we go to two services next week, uh, we're thinking about uh, this whole idea of unity. And we've been talking a lot about unity this month here in September. And uh, I'm really excited to, to announce our next sermon series starting next week. And this is what it is. It's, it's called It's Not About Me. You may not be able to see it, but there's about, oh, maybe 400 little things that say it's not about, it's not about, it's not about. My wife made that. She did a very good job on that. Um... And uh, But uh, that's what we're talking about uh, For the next six weeks Starting next Sunday Called It's Not About Me And uh, the whole purpose of our lives And why we are here And uh, just so you know I'm going to give let the cat out of the bag a little early It's not about you And it's not about me what the whole thing's about okay so so that doesn't give you an excuse not to come for the next six weeks okay Uh, you got to figure out what we're going to talk about but uh, but that's that's kind of a clue kind of a hint it's it's not about us Um, so we're gonna talk about that for the next uh, six weeks as we go to two services nine o'clock and eleven o'clock today though we're talking about the head of the church the head of the body and the head of the body is Jesus Jesus is the head of the body he's the head of the church so turn in your Bibles, grab your Bible, and turn to um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you didn't bring a Bible today, we have Bibles here in the pews, okay? And uh, you can turn in, your, in the Pew Bible if you didn't have one. And you may not, if you're not very familiar with Scripture or, or where to find Colossians in the Bible, let me tell you where it's at here in the Pew Bible. You're going to turn uh, to page 833. So on page 833 in your pew Bible, if you didn't bring a Bible, or if you can find Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, we do encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, if you don't have one, let us know. We'll try and get you one. Uh, we, uh, we're a Bible-based church. We do everything uh, by the book. Uh, we believe uh, that the bible is god's word uh, inspired uh, He inspired human authors by his holy spirit to write the 66 books of scripture uh, And so that's what we follow we we believe the bible is god's word and we treat it as such and we follow it as such um, So uh, it, Also, if you have a bulletin turn to the back page of the bulletin, you'll find the hdo right there You can fill in some blanks and the very first blank on your outline is jesus is God Jesus is God, and we're in Colossians 1, 15 through 23, starting in verses 15 uh, through uh, 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Greek word, the original language, the Greek word there used for image, that he is the image of the invisible God, literally means appearance or likeness. He is the he is the appearance of the invisible God. He is the likeness, the, the human form of God. And he's referring to Jesus. So Jesus is Literally, he is God. And this echoes John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let me read that for you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That's exactly what Paul says there at the beginning of Colossians. That through Christ all things were made, uh, and for him all things were made. Uh, In John chapter 10 verses 30 and 33. Jesus says in verse 30, I and the Father are one. I and God the Father, Jesus says, I and God the Father are one. And in other words, and what happens is that the Jews that were around him pick up stones and they're, they're going to stone Jesus to death because of what he says. And you may be wondering, well, why are they going to stone him for what he says? Because Because as we see in verse 33, the Jews say to him, they accuse him of blasphemy and say, You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus was claiming to be God by saying that he and the Father were one. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, we have uh, what the, the Jews call the Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So they believed in one God all the peoples around the Israelites at that time believed in many gods They were polytheistic and so they believed in many many gods Yet the the God of the Hebrews was one God Hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is One and when Jesus says that I and the Father are one He's claiming to be God And it was true Jesus, by claiming oneness with the Father, declared himself to be God. And again, why else would the Jews accuse him of blasphemy? Why else would they pick up stones to kill him? Now, we as Christians here living in the 21st century, we believe in one God. We believe that there is only one God. Uh, but he is, uh, we believe that God is one, yet he is made up of three different parts. In our new believers class uh in our uh, membership class uh, we talk uh, we give a very rudimentary illustration of the trinity that's what we call this this idea that the father son and spirit are all god and they're all one and we use the, the an illustration of an egg and uh, by the egg illustration we we mean that there's you haven't you, you can you visualize an egg here in my hand what color is it brown brown okay sure no problem it could be brown it could be white either way is fine they are precious in his sight. Um, so you've got your egg, and the egg is one egg, yet it is made up of three parts. It is made up of yolk and white and shell, brown or white shell. And so that single egg is made up of three different parts, yet it is all one egg. And like I said, it's a very basic and rudimentary illustration of the Trinity and, and what we mean by when we say that Father, Son, and Spirit are all 1. That they are all God. So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. They are all equal. There is not a hierarchy, but they all serve different functions and they are all unique persons. And like I said, they all have different functions. And so uh, when we talk about the Trinity, and, and again, this is a subject upon which, about which thousands of pages have been written. Thousands and thousands of pages have been written about the Trinity. And, and we are trying to use finite minds to understand an infinite God. And it's just not going to happen. We're not going to be able to fully understand it. Until we see Jesus face to face, we'll never be able to fully understand and grasp all there is to know about an infinite God. But the one thing that we need to know that we learn here in Colossians 1, 15 through 17 is that Jesus is God. And since he is God, he's in charge. Uh, second, Blake, on your outline, uh, Jesus is in charge. Look at Colossians 1, 18 and 19. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. He is the head over the church. This, uh, Paul wrote about the same subject in Ephesians 1:22 and 23. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head of the church. He's in charge of this whole thing. Colossians 118 that we just read says that in everything he may have the supremacy that Greek word for supremacy was a word that that meant uh, Obviously supreme overall. It was a refer a word that referred to Greek mythology to Zeus Okay Are We tracking so it's a word that referred to Zeus in Greek mythology But in reality, it is a word that is only applied to Jesus And it only makes sense when it is applied to Jesus because he is the king of kings He is the lord of lords the first and the last the beginning and the end. He is jesus and he is in charge He is in charge of this whole thing the church Uh, He is driving the bus And there is no one else in charge And that's important when it comes to governing in the local church body uh, Our local church body here at griffith first christian. uh, We do not belong to a denomination we don't have a denominational hierarchy over us uh, that tells us how to uh, spend our budget or uh, who to hire and who to fire. Uh, our, our, um, we don't have that kind of denominational hierarchy. We are a church that is run, first of all, by Jesus Christ, for he is the head of the church. And then after uh, Jesus, uh, he has uh, placed the elders over uh, the uh, day-to-day affairs of our church. Uh, the elders um, are the ones who govern our church. Um, And then everybody else. Deacons, ministry team leaders, um, uh, teachers, Bible study leaders, preachers. Um, I'm not an elder of the church. I get to go to elder meetings and I have an opportunity to express my opinion. I get an opportunity to help lead, but I'm not in charge. We are not a pastor-driven church. We are an elder-run church. And that's the way that God set it up uh, in His Word. And so I just want you to know that uh, we're getting ready to do nominations Uh, Coming up starting next week in your newsletter, you can grab a newsletter on your way out the door this morning Uh, There's the newsletters are available at the information station and you'll find a list of offices that are open uh, For nominations for next year. We're going to take nominations in the entire month of October Uh, and so you'll want to make sure that uh, if there's somebody you believe who would fill uh, a a position of a deacon or or especially we need men to step up and be elders if there's somebody who you believe would be a great elder for our church uh, you need to talk to that person and and tell them that you're going to nominate them Uh, and uh, we'll talk more about that uh, next week when we get into nominations Um, But it's so important, Uh, we need you you to pray, we need you to think hard about the men who can serve as elders and the people who can serve as deacons and ministry team leaders. We need men to step up and say, here am I, use me, here am I, I want to lead in God's church. We need men who are willing to submit to Jesus in everything and who have a heart for his vision for our church family. And remember what Jesus said, okay, look at this verse right here, say this with me, this is what Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18. That all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is in charge. This is His church. I've said it in the last couple of weeks. It's His name on the sign. It's the first Christian church. We are a church that is devoted to Christ. And He is in charge. I love what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9-11. through 11. He wrote about Jesus that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Then at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue uh, in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus is Lord. He is in charge. And we submit to him in everything. We submit to him and to his word in everything. The last point on your outline is very simply, Jesus is our Savior. Look in uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse, pick it up in verse 19 again. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior... But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Jesus is our Savior. We read there in Colossians 1. That We were enemies of God at one point in our lives. We were all enemies of God in our minds because of our sinful wicked evil behavior You know what? I'm talking about the sins that we commit and because of our sins in an unforgiven state We are enemies of God and that's bad news because I can't you know uh, there, you may have enemies here on earth You may have people who don't like the way you look they don't like the way you talk They don't like the way that you act they don't like the way that you drive They don't like the fact that you go to church whatever you may have enemies here on church, here on earth and you can deal with that. But if God is your enemy, you've got a big problem. Because there's nobody bigger than God. Your arms, as the old saying goes, are too, your arms are too short to box with God. He's going to win. If you are enemies with God, you have a problem. Uh, I, but you know what? Here's the good news. Okay? The bad news is that if you're still in your sins, you're enemies with God. But the good news is that when your sins are forgiven... Christ reconciles you to God. He changes things. He changes your status. He reconciles you. He brings you together. He makes you friends with God. He sent Jesus to forgive our sins, to free us from guilt, to free us from shame, to free us from the consequences of our sin. You know, God did something. He, he didn't say I, I, I don't. He didn't. He wasn't satisfied to be enemies with people. He wanted us to be friends, and so he reached out and he sent his son Jesus to be our forgiver, to be our savior, and that's exactly what Jesus did. He came. To, he sent Jesus to make us friends, and that's exactly what he did. In Romans chapter four verse seven, I want you to read this with me. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. That's from Romans 4 7. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. He was quoting King David from Psalm 32. So, how do we become, do we become friends with God? How many of you are friends with God? How many of you are not sure? I'm not sure if I'm a friend of God. Let me tell you how you can be sure, all right? I want to tell you how you can be sure that you're a friend with God. You need to uh, accept Jesus' offer of salvation that he made on the cross when he died for our sins. It is through Jesus that you can become a friend of God. You have to, and it, it's very simple, it's, it's real easy to become a friend of God. You've got to accept Jesus' offer of salvation by believing in him, repenting, turning away from sin, turning to God for forgiveness, confessing your faith publicly, And then being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then as Paul says in Colossians, he says, then you continue in your faith and you stand firm and you live a faithful life until Christ returns or until he calls you to your heavenly home. And when we accept God's offer of forgiveness made through his son Jesus Christ, by his grace, this amazing gift, this amazing gift of salvation, when we accept this gift of salvation, we are no longer enemies of God. We are counted as his friends. There's no longer any animosity, bitterness, hard feelings. It's gone. We have been truly forgiven. Truly forgiven. You know, forgiveness is a wonderful thing. When you're at odds with somebody, you're doing this, you're mad at somebody because of something they said or something they did, or when someone's mad at you because of something you did or something you said, When there's discord, when there's animosity, could be with your siblings, could be with your spouse, could be with your, it's probably with your children. (laughs) But when there is animosity and there is discord and you are enemies with somebody, it hurts and it's scary. It really is. And it's, it's frightening. You know, what if I run into that person? What if I see them? What's it going to be like? There's a little bit of nervousness. There's a little bit of anxiety. There's a little bit of fear. But when, when you come face to face and you hear the words, I forgive you. Or you say the words, I forgive you. There's peace. There's no longer fear. And, and it's a wonderful feeling. It's a, it's a relief. And that's what happens when we come to God through Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And he says, I'm no longer mad you're not my enemy anymore we're friends and we're gonna be friends not just now we're friends forever somebody cue a michael w smith song we're gonna be friends forever and ever and ever and we are made friends with god through his son jesus and we don't have to be afraid anymore god is the best friend you could possibly have and jesus makes that friendship possible you know thinking about that guillotine again call me crazy you'd be right but thinking about that guillotine again I wonder how many churches have spiritually cut off their own head because they refuse to follow what Jesus said because they refuse to do what Jesus says because they've taken Jesus off the throne and they don't submit to his will and they don't submit to his word and they don't submit to his way you know what i don't want to be that kind of church i want to be a church that follows jesus and that we do what he says because he's in charge he is god he is our savior and we do what he says we cannot survive without the head like i said not even for five or six seconds so pray pray for the elders of our church pray for the leadership of our church Pray for the future elders of our church, the ones who are going to step up and and pray that they would seek to follow Jesus with their whole heart. Pray that they would submit to him in all things as they lead our church into the vision which Christ has set for his church to make more and better disciples. To reach out to people who don't know Jesus, people who are unchurched or dechurched who say, I don't have a use for the church. We want to reach out to those folks. We don't want to uh, steal sheep from other barns. We want to turn goats into sheep. People who don't know Jesus, we want to reach out to them. We want to bring them in so they can hear about the life-transforming message of Jesus Christ. How he died for our sins and he can give us hope for all eternity. So pray for our elders as they lead our church into this vision. Support the leadership of our church family as we submit to Jesus, the head in all things. I'll tell you right now, it's a tough job to be an elder. You've got to work with me. But they do. we have great elders We have two guys who are really good men who want to do what Jesus wants us to do. They don't have any hidden agendas and they only seek to follow Christ's leading. So pray for them. And in all things, may we all submit to the leading and to the lordship of Jesus Christ who is the head of the body. Thank you, Father, for this message today. For being able to share about not only the plan of salvation and about your grace and love, but about submission. For God, we need... As a body to submit to the lordship of christ Knowing that he's in charge That he is your son and he is our savior So help us father god to follow him in all things to do as he Requires to do as he asks to submit and surrender and obey Thank you god for those who have stepped up into leadership and who are leading well And we pray for those who have yet to step up who have yet to say here am I but lord you I pray that you would move in their hearts to stand firm, to stand up, and to serve your church in this way. Thank you again for your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in his name.